mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Welcome to Panther Puri, the podcast where we're supposed to talk Panthers hockey, but sometimes we don't. Here are your hosts, Alex Lopez, Jake Langsam, and TJ Peterson. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Panther Puri. I'm your host, Jacob Langsam, and here with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Alex Lopez and TJ Peterson. And joining us today, a very, very special guest, a uh, former amateur scout for the Florida Panthers, Reese Jessup. Reese, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm, I'm really happy to be here and excited to, uh, to talk some hockey with you guys. So uh, right off the top, I, I just want to personally apologize for every bad thing I've ever <laughs> said about John Ludwig. Uh, <laughs> 20, that, that 2019 draft was a hell of a time, and I saw this kid with more penalty minutes than inches on uh, than height in inches and just got scared and did not like it at first. And then when I realized it was a Reese Jessup pick, uh, I had to go full 180 and accept it for what it is because we certainly trust your uh, your judgment with uh, with these things well well, th- well thank you i appreciate that but uh before we get too far i just want to point out that the, um it's it, it would be it would be great if i could claim um full responsibility for the ludwig pick and i'm am a huge fan of johnny and his game but as with all picks it's a it's a team process and our our other western scout evan marble did a great job uh, tracking and following up on Johnny uh, all year, and we were just really happy that he was there for us in the uh, in the third round. What a good Canadian boy sharing the spotlight. <laughs> there, the, you, you can't you can't be caught up on on having your guys and getting your picks in in the in the NHL draft. It's about it's about getting the best players for the team and getting the most valuable for the organization as a whole. So, if you can't share the share the um, the the credit you can't sh- or you you got to take all the blame too and that's just not how it works. That's fair. Otherwise, uh, a lot of people would have to take a lot of blame for things that aren't necessarily <laughs> their fault. Uh, but that's for Twitter to decide. Uh, oh, always. So getting Court into of public uh, getting, opinion. <laughs> exactly. Uh, getting into the real uh, crux of uh, of what we uh, what we wanted to talk about today. We wanted to start with a little bit about uh, about you. Because uh, you had kind of an unconventional path to getting into the scouting, uh, getting into that scouting position. So can you just uh, walk us through a little bit? Because not a lot of uh, the Panthers fans know uh, a lot about that life, about getting into being a scout or what the life of a scout is like. So can you just walk us through kind of your your unconventional uh, process to getting into that role? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, it's it's not like I wound up in scouting by accident or, or anything. It was always what I really wanted to do. I've always had a passion for junior hockey. Uh, I was a massive uh, fan of the Vancouver Giants growing up, just going to, to WHL games almost more often than NHL games. Uh, 
and just as in my childhood and looking at the draft, it was always something that really fascinated me. I began doing a lot of original research and uh, quantitative analysis actually on the draft when I was with uh, CanucksArmy.com, a uh, a blog similar to uh, where 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 I believe Jacob writes. Um, if I'm not mistaken there, but I was the managing editor there and I did some work with a couple guys, Cam Lawrence and Josh Weisbach, who were also hired by the Panthers. Uh, we churned out some, some I, I'd like to say we churned out some pretty good work, did uh, a bunch of original research and found some cool things about the draft. And then about 2016, the Panthers were looking to augment uh, what they had already had with some some new and differing viewpoints. Uh, at the time, I was also doing some work as a uh, some statistical work for the Vancouver Giants, so I had I had that on my resume as well. So they came calling. I was ready to uh, step in and 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 start in more of an analyst role. Uh, I performed that role for a couple of years, and eventually I I started going to games and and making my own reports. And I went to to Dale Talon, basically told him, hey. I'd like to scout for you guys. And he gave me a little bit of a trial run and I did enough in that to impress them. And they uh, moved me into scouting full time. I put in a couple of years there, 2019 draft happened. And that's kind of uh, the, the apex of my scouting career so far, so to speak, I guess. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's where we uh, find ourselves today. Okay. So, uh, that's, that's clearly a, a pretty interesting path. I mean, I know the traditional path you see is, you know, former NHLer and then, you know, plays his career in the NHL or the AHL and then becomes a scout. And you kind of had that different path, like you were just talking about. And that kind of path, like, relates to Jacob, TJ, and I in terms of, you know, we didn't play in the NHL, but we all love hockey. And, you know, we want to be in hockey, whether it's professionally or just having fun with it you know, mm -hmm. podcasts like this, but it's like, you know, you had that alternative path and it's like, for those of us out there who didn't make the NHL, it's like, that's the model you can kind of follow to, to work your way in there. And it's extremely impressive. So the next thing I want to ask you, since, you know, we were talking about the life of a scout is, you know, is it still kind of like the old days where you think of where you're, you're spending, you know, you, all of your time in like random rinks across <laughs> the country, watching guys play or, or, or has it evolved with, you know, analytics and quantitative analysis? The, the actual core um, requirements of the job haven't changed. You still have to get to the rinks and you have to watch players. So, like, a day in the life of a scout if for me midseason, if I'm doing a road swing, let's say, through Alberta and Saskatchewan or something, it'll be like I'll wake up in, in, in Vancouver, fly to Calgary, do a game in Calgary – go to sleep, drive to Medicine Hat, do a game in Medicine Hat, go to sleep, wake up, drive to somewhere else, repeat that for a week, fly home, and and, and so on and so forth. So that part of it hasn't changed. Um, you, you do have to watch just a, a ton of games um, to to stay on top of all the qualitative insights that you need to be able to draw about these kids to optimize your decision-making on draft day. Um, but there, there are some kind of modernizations that have happened. Video, especially, has gotten um, a lot, a lot better in recent years. Even, even since I've been with the Panthers, uh, video analysis and video has, has really come into uh, to, more, or it's been more useful as a tool because more teams, and more leagues have invested in things like cameras, uh, streaming feeds. 
So that's far more accessible now than it even was like five, three or five years ago. So you're just kind of starting to see that transition. And it's been, uh, in my understanding, is it's been accelerated with, uh, with the pandemic and the, 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 all the league shutdowns that have happened since uh, February, March there. But the, the actual core functions of the job aren't, aren't wildly different, and it's probably pretty much exactly what you imagine. Uh, there's a lot of bad coffee and a lot of bad hotel rooms. <laughs> so, so I kind of have to ask, what's the, what's the worst one to go to? What's the one where it's like, oh, it's on the schedule. It's like, oh, I got to oh, go man. stay at this crappy Motel so, 6. <laughs> last year, um, or last season, it was, the, it was the playoffs, and I was doing an Eastern swing in the playoffs to, to – get to get viewings on some guys and i went into prince albert and i believe it was april prince albert was like 30 degrees below and it's it's something like two hours north of edmonton like it's almost in the arctic circle there like you walk through downtown edmonton there's arctic hares and running through the parking lots and stuff and and you just go north to get to prince albert there's two hotels in prince albert but both of them are kind of old and run down i went to the higher rated one which was like a, a quality and express and sweets or something, their boiler was malfunctioning. So inside the hotel, it was about 35 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit off the top of my head, but I can tell you it is really warm. Uh, and especially when you contrast with that, uh, with that outside, it's like walking from a hot summer day in South Florida right into Alaska is that is that true? transition windows open um all like the no heat on but because the boiler was was running so hot even though it was like 30 celsius below outside i could not get the the room cooled down i went to take a shower and there was no cold water so it had just corroded all the rust in the uh in the shower head and it just spat boiling rust onto me um so, so yeah, it's pretty tough to get worse than that hotel experience. Most of them are usually pretty good, but uh, yeah, that one was definitely memorable in terms in terms of uh, just oh boy, what have I gotten myself into? Um, one small follow up, and then we can okay. move on. Let's okay. see as a follow up. Did the did the player you have to go to see that night was he actually? Uh, any oh good? yeah, it was a it was a good game that. Prince Albert plays in in literally a barn. Like there's no, uh, it's it's only it's like half of a lower bowl. Basically, it's uh, it's a glorified community rink, and like they have the they have private boxes, but they're just built like in the stands out of plywood, and you're right on top of the players. <laughs> it is a wild atmosphere, and the Raiders were a good team, so it was just wild in that in that building that night. It was and it was a it was a fantastic game. It was one of the better games I'd. I'd seen all season. Nothing, nothing is worse than when you go to, uh, you you go on a trip and you sit down for a game and it's just an uh, an absolute dog. It's so, yeah. That at least at least there was there's that going uh going for me. I was in there for a uh, for a weekend back to back. Yeah, but but enough about enough about sitting at the Mass Mutual Center. <laughs> oh man, I took I a drink of water there and, and, and that all showered by boiling rust is in. But... <laughs> I guess oh, if you get to watch geez. good hockey, it's uh, yeah. it's probably not a circle of health, the, but... the 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 price the prices yeah. you pay to 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 do the job, you know. <laughs> right. So one uh, one thing I, I I always have wanted to know. Speaking of like even just that story of oh, but the game was an absolute banger. 
and there's nothing worse than than uh, a shitty experience ending in a boring game. But when when you go to a game like that, obviously the public tracking data isn't anywhere near as sophisticated in juniors as it is for for the NHL. Uh, and there 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 are twelve guys on the ice at any given time. Forty people on the ice. Forty people who can be uh, who can be on the ice throughout a game. How do you really decide like who do you want to watch the most? Because obviously you kind of have to pick your pick your pick your guys and watch everything they do uh, to create the most accurate reports, right? Yeah, and and and, and you're you're right. You you do have to kind of pick your guys, but this is why you have regional scouts, and this is why it's it's a full season process. Because as a regional scout, you're you're responsible for a very specific group of players. In Florida, we had a, a smaller staff, so between me and 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 our other our other Western Conference scout, it was a it, it was more difficult than let's say the Toronto Maple Leafs, who can have like 40 scouts, and like each guy's only or like is responsible for like five, six, seven teams. So basically how that works is by the time you're in the playoffs, you know which one or two guys you're going to be really looking at. You you know that, oh, I'm going into to Prince Albert in Saskatoon, I'm going to be looking at this guy, this guy, this guy, and Kirby Doc. So, but to get to that point, it's it's a multi-year process. A guy like Kirby Doc, you know you're going to be watching all the way up because he's like a top three pick in the Bantam draft. So you're paying attention to guys coming out of major midget. You're paying attention to guys that are 16 years old, that are 17 years old. So you just have a a, 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 a big dossier kind of on every guy in that game when you go sit down. A lot of the do- a lot of that's just going to say this guy's just a bit player at this level. He's a he's a 19 year old third liner in the WHL. Not going to happen. So you can kind of start crossing guys off based on the the body of work that you've done up to that point so when you're going in it's really important that you have a a handle on not just the guys that you need to watch going into that game but everyone so you know which guys you don't need to watch as well and sometimes a guy will just stand out to you a guy that you weren't expecting to watch he'll he'll do something in the first couple shifts and and to make you take notice and then you watch through the game and maybe that's it maybe that's a flash in the pan and there's nothing there or maybe they they have a good game and you got to go okay we need to i need to circle back around and and revisit this guy going forward so again it's it's just a process and and it's a matter of of going through that process over a long period of time that gets you to the point where you can afford to be focused with uh with viewings like that Uh just just to pick a scout out of a hat uh cory pronman (laughs) has like these compartmentalized (laughs) scouting reports Uh, yeah i mean Obviously, I don't agree with everything that Corey Promen writes or everything that he thinks about prospects. But do you think about skills in that sort of compartmentalized way? Do you look at like this player's puck ability is good, but their skating is off, you know, et cetera, et cetera? And if, if so, like how many of those different categories do you think that you have? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, hmm. This is a tougher question to answer than it appears on the surface because the answer is yes, but also no. Because at the end of the day, the thing that really matters is the interplay of all those skills and abilities a player has. Does that make them good at hockey? Mm-hmm. You're, because once you, that's the thing that really, really matters when it comes down to it. Is this guy good at hockey? 
But to get to that answer, you do have to have a good handle on those separate skills and, and, and abilities and to, to be able to put to paint a complete picture because that's important for, let's say, player development as well. If uh -huh. you're looking at a kid you it, going in, it's like, okay, what's his puck handling like? What's his skating like? What's his, what is his decision-making process like? How is he on the puck? How is he off the puck? How is he off the puck defensively? How is he off the puck offensively? is it how is how is his transitional play does he make is he good at a short passing game can he also stretch the ice does he have good two zone vision does he have good 20 foot vision is his small area game strong does he protect the puck well so there's a whole bunch of of things and, and little nuances to each player's game that you have to that you have to have a, a good handle on because it's important to when you're comparing two guys it's say okay i think that these two players are about the the same ability right now but you're not drafting players for right now. You're drafting players for three, four, five years down the road when they're projected to make an impact in your NH on your NHL lineup. So you have to be able to pull them apart and say, okay, this guy, I think well, his skill set is going to translate better than this guy. So I think we should shoot, rate this guy higher than this guy. Like one example is skating, let's say. That's, that's something that everyone seems to talk about, but no one really seems to talk about. Ever, it's always, oh, this guy's a good skater, this guy's a bad skater, this guy's a good skater, this guy's a bad skater. When really, it's it's so much more than that. It's like, okay, if he's a bad skater, how is he a bad skater? Are is this is it sloppy technique? Is it strength? Or is there physical limitations to 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 him and how his lower body is built in terms of whether or not he can actually perform an efficient stride? Something that you'll see a lot in junior hockey kids is they have is they're just weak through the core, so. They get they instead of being able to bend their knees and, and hold a nice ninety degree knee bend when they're when they're striding out they they straighten their knees because their legs aren't strong enough they collapse the hips because their core and, and 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 their posterior chain aren't strong enough and they'll be they'll be over their toes and that limits their balance that limits their top speed that limits their ability to 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 lengthen their stride and 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 generate power One thing so but also that can that those aspects are shared by kids who maybe just have a bad hip structure, bad knee structure, wherein they, they collapse in. So they're very heavily over their inside edges. And, and like, that's something that's a lot more difficult to develop than a kid that's just weak. So when you're looking at these, these individual things, it is really important to be able to compartmentalize and, and like break, break down the specific skills, not just into bins saying like, oh, he's a good puck handler, oh, he's not a good puck handler, but being able to say, oh, he is a good puck handler because he does this, this, this. He is not, he is not a good puck handler because he's not doing this, this, this. So once you're able to answer that question, that's when you can get into development and, and actually targeting area or targeting players that you think will improve to the point where they'll be able to make that uh, that NHL impact, which at the end of the day is what you're looking for. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of try to think of it, you know, I, obviously on a, a much you know more remote perspective, you know, not professionally, but you know, when it, when it comes to NHL impact, I, I definitely like to think of it, like you said, do these skills combine to create a player that adds impact, but you know, the, the junior game and even like the professional game in other countries is so different from the NHL where players have maybe an elevated role. Like a guy like Bowen Byram is never going to have the same role in the NHL that he has in the CHL. He's never going to play 35 minutes of a 60 minute game. He's never going to be expected to carry most of the goal scoring load. 
I don't know if that's necessarily the, the case, but, you know, he does mm-hmm. a lot of things offensively for his junior team that he's not necessarily going to be counted upon to do for his NHL team. And, you know, that's just one example. I have all the faith that Bo and Byron will be an extremely impactful NHL player. But if you want to look at a guy and see that, you know, he has a certain offensive impact, but, you know, you could – and, like, there's a lot of things to take into account, but, you know, one is – like what kind of role that they have in the lineup, like I said, that often gives guys points. And we talked about John Ludwig, and this was a guy that, you know, he wasn't getting that opportunity, and thus his points scoring wasn't at that level. And all of a sudden, you know, guys graduate, he moves up the lineup, he starts lightening up the scoreboard. He starts, you know, putting up a point per game in the WHL. And this is the sort of thing to take into account, I think, because – you know, there's going to be something else going on at the NHL level. And you do like to look at those skills that translate and the skills that can be worked on versus, you know, things that players can do because they're playing lower competition or because they have the higher role that the junior uh, game provides them. Yeah, for sure. And and it's also important to note that when you're looking at these guys at the junior level and how they'll translate to the NHL game is that basically – Almost to a man, everyone in the NHL was an elite player at some point, at some level. Yeah. So the majority of these guys, you're going to see them in, in starring roles in, in junior, whether it be at like 17, 18, 19, or they graduate to the, to the AHL. So they're going to be in positions where they're, where they're the, the, the guy that their team leans on. And it's, it's, always uh, worth remembering that when you see a guy in juniors, you're not necessarily projecting him to be in that exact role at the NHL level. Like it got, mm-hmm. get, like we'll go back to Johnny Ludwig, for example, in uh, his 18 year old or in his 17 year old season, his first draft eligible year, Portland was really deep and he was there. He started their year as their eighth defenseman and moved up the depth chart to being a number five, six by the end of the year In his draft plus one year, the year that we, that we drafted him in Florida he had moved to basically their number one defenseman, but they used him in a very high defensive leverage role. They started him almost exclusively in the defensive zone. They didn't give him any power play time. He was there when he wasn't being a defensive zone specialist. He was their main matchup guy. He was their lead penalty killer. And they gave the offensive reps to uh, an overager, Jared Frederick, and to, uh, to get the points playing with uh, Cody Glass and uh, San Jose Sharks prospect, Joaquin Blickfeld on the, on the power play. So that's that was the example of a guy where where I go in and I watch him and I see a guy that is that does have that role but the role that he has isn't conducive to points because we know that defensive zone starts are not conducive to offense. We ju- we just know that. If you start in your defensive zone you're probably not going to get as many shots as on net on the ice as com- as compared to if you're starting the offensive zone. And for a defenseman especially, so much of their scoring is influenced by opportunity in the power play. And if you don't have that, even if you are exhibiting plus-level offensive tools in your shift-to-shift <laughs> play, the points will probably just not be there. So you're looking at a player and, and trying to translate what you're seeing in terms of skills into different contexts. <laughs> and once you and when you start doing that, then that's that's when you can start asking questions like, okay, will this guy's translate? this guy's game translate where do i see him playing the nhl level where do i see him playing next year how do i see his 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 development going and and that's that's really valuable in terms of of being able to to project guys to that next level wow that's uh that that's a lot i mean 
All I know is for, for anyone who ever <laughs> says that uh, people from Canucks Army only look at a computer, I mean, we got 90-degree knee bend, 20-foot uh, game, all stuff that requires good eye tests and, like, being able to evaluate in person. So, Hey, 90 degrees is a number. Yeah. Come on. But, but, what, I'm, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, I mean, a lot of the – a lot of the pushback you get on on the scouts and GMs who are are believers in analytics is that oh all you do is look at a computer and a formula and make decisions like this is you know this is all really like in depth scouting and like knowledge that like you need to take like you, I mean I've played hockey all my life and I mean you were even blowing me away with some of the things you were looking at in terms of uh, what you look for in a player and need to uh, and need to look at. Um, uh, so let, let's let's move on in here. Let's talk about uh, the, like the dra- the draft day experience. Let's spend like a minute or two here. Um, when when you're drafting and in the room and you guys are all together, like what do you think is the best strategy? Like, do you think you need to be drafting for team need, or should teams be looking at going best player available? Well, I think the optimal or what you're tr- really trying to do at the draft is maximize future utility for your team at every position. So what that means is dependent on a lot of factors, including what the, what the organizational makeup of, of, of your team is like how many guys that you have, like in, in it, at defense versus, versus center. And for, for instance, so that does enter the, uh, the equation, but generally I'm a fan of best player available because it's very tough to game theory, the draft, when there are th- coming in or coming up to now 31 other actors in the in the marketplace that you just cannot control you cannot account for so going into the draft basically be, and and especially the structure of the draft too the first round is kind of different because every, there's all the pomp and circumstance everyone has their guy they go up to the stage the the kid comes up there's the picture with the whole team his parents in the stands crying kid comes down to the table and says, like, oh my god we're so we're so proud and and nhl network and 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 them are, are covering the stuff doing blow by blow analysis day two is a is just rapid fire you have like three minutes to submit a submit your pick and it's just going bang 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 so to game theory in that and really strategize in that environment you got to be really on your toes and it, it there's only you can only do that to a limited degree so you make your list going in and you're pretty much going off of the list in in term in terms of day 2 so you have to just make sure that when you go in you're really confident and really comfortable with that list and that you might not get some guys you like and that's just the reality of the situation because again there are 31 other actors that you cannot control so a big part of drafting, especially in the first round, is is just the guys that the other team picks. Because even though you might be high on it, really high on a guy, and you think he's going to fall to you, all it takes is one out of thirty-one others to be as high on that guy as well, and you don't get him. Oh, yeah, that's 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 pretty interesting. And you talked about you know setting up the draft board when when you when you're scouting and and you're kind of starting to rank your players. What are the key traits you look for? And then in the same same vein, what's the big red flag that's like, oh, this guy doesn't do X or this guy has this flaw in his game. We need to avoid him like the plague. Uh, the the big the great big one, and it it's it sounds really simple and really obvious is 
is this player effective at this level right now? And uh -huh. I think that's uh, like that. That's that sounds so so like well, obviously that's that's what you're looking for. But at a lot of times, you see guys that are drafted that are the quote unquote the project player. Oh, oh, he's raw. He's not. He's not great now. And it's guys. It's it's their picks used to justify guys that are playing down the lineup, like third, fourth lines, and and with 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 a good toolkit that just are not effective. And we know we know based on quantitative analysis and based based on market analysis and based on past history that generally the guys that are the most effective NHLers are the ones that are most effective in the CHL. We we know that. So when when there you get good reports on 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 a guy, are you hearing things about about some guy and you go in and they and they just do nothing like absolutely nothing, and maybe pick up a secondary assist or two on the power play. That's that's a that's a bit of a red flag. That's okay. I don't see this player gen like consistently generating quality offensive chances at five on five. That's that's a red flag for me. And inversely, if you do see a guy, even if the points aren't there, when they're out in the in the role that they're playing, if they are overperforming the role in just in in doing the things that lead to winning hockey games, which is preventing chances defensively and creating chances offensively. Then that that's something that 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 puts them on you on your radar. So there's not really a because there's not really a very as very specific skill or 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 skills that that I'm looking for because it at the end of the day it does depend on or it does boil down to given their specific combination of skills and what they are able to do on the ice are they effective. Okay, so what you're saying is you kind of want to stay away from players who are below a point per game, especially when you're drafting in the first round. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's that's probably generally a decent rule of thumb to uh to to be going on, and it's also worth noting that that a point per game, depending on the player's role, can be pretty impressive. Um, but. Again, the the rule of thumb that I like to kind of go by, um, and this it is, is it, it isn't always true, is that players who score in junior might not be good. They might yeah. be bad. Players who do not score in junior are almost always not very good. Uh -huh. Which was one of the reasons I was so scared about Ludwig at first. His scoring numbers seemed <laughs> yeah, a little low yeah, at first, I, but. Yeah, they and 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 they were they they absolutely were. But again, John Ludwig was a right. guy that we went in when we looked at and we said, okay, what what are his what are his suite of offenses? Right. I love the way you described what, it when you were talking about like how he started yeah, as the it, eighth guy and was eventually maybe a third pairing defenseman in his draft year. So that that kind of explains that away a little bit. And then of course you see like last year he exploded offensively. And, yeah, and that those are things that when you're going and you're looking at him, even from when he was playing in that eighth defensive role, you see him working the offensive blue line. He picks the puck up off the board. He does a pump fake, does two hard strides to the inside, drive to the backhand, drives the slot, gets a scoring chance. He he jumps up in the play with Cody Glass, goes tic-tac-toe with him, and, and, and sets up walking Blickfeld on the back door for a one-timer. He's in. He settles the puck in his own end, curls off of a of, of a player, settles it behind his net, sees a guy coming off the bench streaking, fires a two zone pass, tape to tape to the at uh, the offensive blue line. So, and even though these these things aren't necessarily translating into points, they're things that you just don't see other guys doing. So, 
when you see those things and you're looking for those things, that, that, that's what gives you confidence where you can say, okay, given a different role, I think there's going to be something here offensively. So one of the things that we wanted to hit on, kind of in the same vein, uh, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about Johnny Ludwig, uh, but there's some other uh, Western Canada picks that, uh, that Panthers fans might not be uh, so knowledgeable about, guys like Henry Rybinski or Carter Berger that uh, that you scouted pretty heavily before we drafted them. Can you tell us uh, something about like guys like that uh, that we might not already know or what we can expect? Yeah, uh, uh, for, for sure. Uh, but just before I do that, I do want to say that we have been talking about Ludwig as if he's a sure thing. Sure. And right. I really want to emphasize that there are no right. sure things. There, right. are, there is a we- reason why Johnny was available in, in his second draft and why he was a third round pick his he there are deficiencies in his game namely i think is his explosiveness and his gap control transitionally and defensively in the neutral zone that do need to evolve to, for him to be effective defending transitionally at the nhl level so i just even though we've talked about talked about talked about talked about there there is always the 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 possibility that these guys just will not make the nhl the, the development is a is a long and and an arduous process and things can can go wrong and players might not develop so as as high as I am on on Johnny Ludwig and and I am I I do, I do believe that a lot of the skills he has will translate to the NHL game there's also a a good chance that he just doesn't doesn't make it anyways on to the other guys uh now that that's cleared up Henry Rabinski was a was a was a player that I I was initially cool on at first but our our other uh WHL scout Evan Marble was brought him to uh to our collective attention he, he's any he, he basically uh, put me straight and said, no, 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 I think this guy's good. And the more I watched him, the more I warmed up to his game. He's a hardworking player that skates really well. Uh, he attacks really well with linear crossovers through the neutral zone. Uh, I like his forechecking ability. He gets in, he's a great F1, hunts pucks well, create, causes turnovers, and is a really smart distributor and, and playmaker. Uh, I like him at center as well as on the wing. Um, but I don't like him in any situations where he's expected to finish because he might have uh, one of the worst shots that I've seen in, in the <laughs> WHL. The, 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 poor, the poor kid cannot bury the puck for the life of him in, in, front of, in, in front of the net. But every time I've gone in and watched him, he's just been a consistent offensive generator at five, at five on five. And I really do value that combination of forechecking and playmaking. He's not in a great situation in Seattle, but mm-hmm. I still do hold out hold out hope for uh, for for his development going forward. I I do I do value the skill set and and what he brings. Uh, Carter Berger was another reentry player, arguably a bigger reach than 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 Ludwig, being a very old or a a late birthday reentry out of the BCHL, uh, playing on a a pretty stacked Victoria Grizzlies BCHL team with. Uh, Alex Newhook, who yeah. went in the first round of the Colorado Avalanche. Um, and every time you, we went in and we saw Newhook, Berger was a guy that really stood out as, as a guy that just absolutely commanded the game at that level. He is a v- extremely high-end skater. He can, he can cover the ice and, and carry pucks as, as good as anyone I've, I've, I've seen in that league. He's um, playing at UConn right now. I believe he was, 
he got off to a, a good start of the season, but he kind of tumbled down the depth chart. Again, that transition to the NCAA from the BCHL is pretty hard on guys. So the fact that he had 10 points in 31 games might not sound uh, sound great, but that's pretty solid for a for a defenseman in his, his first year out of out of junior A. Uh, uh-huh. He's a he's a puck carrier. He's a puck rusher. I like his skill level and I I love his skating ability. So that's uh, that's kind of the lowdown on him. So what you what you're saying is if the Panthers were really committed to helping Ravinsky in his development, they would get him a shooting coach and have him meet with him in the offseason. <laughs> I would I would certainly hope that Henry would be doing that on his own. Uh, even even if the if if the Panthers weren't uh, weren't doing that for him. Okay. Just real quick, is that the sort of thing that you expect players to be able to improve upon if they just hit the gym or, you know, the, the ice rink for a, a full summer? Or is that sort of the thing that, like, you either have it or you don't? Uh, there is, there's always a degree of you have it or you don't because natural talent does come into these things. But there, there's also a, a, a large component of if you went and you shot 500 pucks a day with proper, with proper like, direction and focus, you will improve. You, if you deliberately practice something with focus on finding where you are not doing it right and improving your game that way, you will get better at it. Look at, look at, uh, the, the guy who just won the, 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 the U S open, uh, Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah. DeChambeau. Yeah. Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah. He like his, yeah, he's a story of, of, of putting of sports science and optimization in this stuff, but that doesn't change the fact that to hit the ball further, he hit, so many drives like he is in his house every single night hitting the ball as hard as he can just so he can pound that that repetitive motion of accelerating the club face into his body so there's even though there is like there's guys like austin matthews and patrick line that can just like absolutely rip the puck just un unbelievably well naturally you can always improve you can always improve every, all, all parts of your game yeah and uh, as we talk about improvement and we talk about the draft we have a draft coming up in in two weeks and there's a couple of guys that you scouted that are probably going to be available when the panthers draft uh i'll go through them one by one so you can give your quick thoughts and then uh, we'll, we'll wrap up uh Caden Goulet from prince albert as we're talking about prince albert earlier i mean he probably is one of those guys you saw on that <laughs> You know, before you give your thoughts on Goulet, I just want to point out that I actually did have a conversation recently with some some fans on, uh, we'll say social media, and uh, there's definitely some excitement at the prospect of the Panthers getting Goulet from some of these people. So uh, what are your thoughts on that fit and him as a player? Okay, um, I'll go kind of go blow by blow here. Um, Goulet is a, I think, the... A, a rare case of a high high upside low or high ceiling low floor defensive specialist. He's his puck skill is is kind of hit and miss. His pass receptions aren't good. He and he tends to bobble the puck at times. But when he has the puck under control, he's capable of some pretty high end moves with it with his hands. His skating is really good. He covers a lot of ice. He's not just fast. He's also mobile four ways and can 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 pivot and 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 close space as well as anyone in in the WHL. Uh off the puck I think his biggest strength lies off the puck in transition where he can where he can gap up and just eliminate players on the boards. He is a guy that forces opponents to turn the puck over time after time after time. He's also a player that turns the puck over himself as much as anyone I've, I've, I've seen in the WHL. 
I have serious questions about his hockey sense and his ability to really um, orchestrate breakouts because he just in with the puck. His he att- when he's in the offensive zone off the puck, he gets himself in the good positions to potentially finish plays as a um, as 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 that high man kind of creeping into the slot. But he's not much of a playmaker, and I do have have questions about his overall hockey. Would uh, a Mike Matheson NHL comparison sound about right? <laughs> I'm uh, honestly, I'm not a, a big fan of player comparisons because they uh, they they require a working knowledge of both the player in question as well as the NHL comparable that I don't think it you can really have to the degree uh, to make that that. That's a that comparison appropriate because like I'm watching so much junior hockey. I barely have time for the NHL and, and so, so are other amateur scouts. So I, I tend to uh, shy away from player comparisons wherever, wherever So what possible. you're saying is the mindset of X is really kind of the worst way to tell someone about a player. Uh, I, I would say that that's a, that's a shortcut uh, that that you use in place of understanding what's what's what that player's game is really about. So I I am I'm not okay. a fan of so, it. So uh, let, let's move on. Why don't you tell us about uh, Braden Schneider from uh, Brandon, another defenseman? Yeah, Braden Schneider is also a defensive defenseman, but he's very different from Gooley. Where Gooley is a high event, force a lot of turnovers, turn the puck over himself. Schneider is a game manager. He's He's good at, at eliminating plays low in his offensive zone, and he's really good at just being authoritative and making quick decisions. He'll get the puck, identify an option, make that pass hard and flat on the tape every single time, 10 times out of 10, seven days a week. Where Schneider is a lot older, though, he is one of the older players in, in his draft year, so he does have an extra year of development on basically everybody in the WHL outside of Connor Zary. Uh, so you're worried there that he's a little, just a little more polished and a, that little bit closer to a finished product. And also, I don't quite think he has the the, the upside with the puck skill as, as Gooley potentially does. Overall, I'm a bigger fan of Schneider than I am of Gooley because I just have that little bit more confidence that Schneider's game will translate into uh, more comfortably into a, a kind of like a second pair, uh, number four or five guy in the at the NHL level. Um, but yeah, he's, his, his, his utility is mainly going to be, uh, defense and transitional puck moving as instead of the, that offensive zone. But you need that in the NHL. I mean, you need someone who's going to suppress shots and give, you know, good uh, exit, uh, zone exit passes. I mean, that's the one thing the Panthers have been missing. And I know, you know, we talked earlier, you don't draft for need, even though the Panthers definitely need defensemen in their prospect system. But like that's what the Panthers are missing at the NHL: is someone who can suppress shots and exit the zone cleanly. And if Schneider is someone who can do that, he'll probably be available around pick twelve. Like that's that's you want that. That's a good pick. Um, what, one more guy we have a question for you about is Seth Jarvis, a center from Portland. What do you know about him? What can you tell us? Uh, Seth Jarvis is for me the top the top guy out of the WHL this year. He was. Every time I've gone in the team, he's been one of the best players on the ice for Portland. He led uh, a really, really good Winterhawks team in scoring by almost 30 points. And he's just dangerous in every facet of the game. Uh, the one drawback to his game is that there is some cheat in his game in terms of uh, the neutral zone stuff. He does tend to fly the zone a little bit uh, and take himself out of transitional um, play. 
to a, a little bit more than I than I'd like to see even at the junior level, but that should be something that's adjustable with coaching. When he does carry the puck through the neutral zone, he's really good at it. He's he's not the fastest guy, but he is on he is, does have quite quite above average speed, uh, and he's just so elusive in the offensive zone. Off the puck, he he finds great places to to be. He finds dead areas and traffic to open himself up for. Uh, for, for, for shooting opportunities in the slot. On the puck, he's capable of, of, of attacking the inside from, from the perimeter, and his, his playmaking vision is great. He's one of the few actual dual-threat players uh, I see in this draft, and, I be- and one of only two in the WHL, I would, uh, I would say. His skill level's really high, his shooting ability's high, his skating ability's high, his IQ's high. Just across the board, he's, he's just a solid, well-rounded offensive player. And I, th- I think personally, if you're looking at a WHL guy at uh, at 12, uh, Jarvis should be your uh, your guy. Seth Jarvis. I mean, the Panthers do need center depth. I mean, they've kind of decimated it by trading away yeah. guys. The the yeah. The one thing about Jarvis is he's listed at center, but he does play wings. Uh, do you see his NHL future at center or at wing? Uh, I see it probably That's as fine. a wing. Like you know, like we talk about best player available, and you want you want the best talent no matter yeah. what, regardless of position. Yeah. I mean, all the Panthers prospects are going to work out. So why even? <laughs> you know, it's just, just all going to be perfect. Uh, real quick, is there any late round sleepers that uh, Panthers fans should be looking to see if the Panthers can grab in you know the later rounds? Uh, late round, um, I'm not particularly sure because the draft is always so uh, so all over the place in later rounds. Uh, what I, about like just like great value, not yeah. in the first round, because uh, that's where the fans hone in. Yeah. Um, the, I think the one guy that I'd highlight there is pr- another Prince Albert Raiders, Raiders player. He's listed as a winger, but he does play center. Ozzy Weisblatt. I love uh, that. That's a Hall of Fame name right there. Yeah. Uh, you'll, well, then you'll love his 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 brothers, um, Ocean Weisblatt, uh, Orko oh, Weisblatt, wow. and Oasis. Oh my God! Oh my God! Uh, I, I think love, family likes I'm, say, uh, I'm in love with these names. Yep. Yeah. This is uh, a WHL Hall of Fame family. Yeah. Uh, it's actually it's actually quite a quite a touching story. Both of the uh, the Weiswell parents are are deaf, so they 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 picked names that they thought uh, like looked uh, re- really nice to them and, and and reminded them of of, of the ocean. So Aww. it's it's a good story all around. They I, I believe all all four kids are fluent in uh, in American Sign Language. Um, but anyways. Uh, Ozzy Weisblatt from the Prince Albert Raiders is uh, is 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 very similar to Seth Jarvis in a lot of ways, just like not quite as potent a finisher uh, off the puck. Again, he gets himself in good positions in the offensive zone. I really like his his how quick his hands are. He's not. Um, as as shifty in motion as Jarvis, but he's really strong on pucks. He's listed, I believe, at five ten, about one hundred eighty pounds. But I've seen him throw the reverse hit on guys as big as six foot three, six foot four, and just knock him flying while he's on the puck. Uh, he's 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 quick through the neutral zone, distributes well. He's a good playmaker and 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 sets up a, a lot of quality offensive opportunities. Uh, he's one. I think, believe he's one of the better even strength scorers for the uh, in in for. WHL first-time draft eligibles this year. Just a, a, a solid, well-rounded offensive player whose game I think will translate well to, to where the NHL is and where, where the NHL is going. Uh, the other guy I want to highlight in later rounds uh, is, an, is another re-entry player. Uh, re-entry, my re-entry player of the year, uh, Gage Gonsalves, a, uh, a center from um, 
Everett. God, he's, I love the WHL. Nat- <laughs> yeah. He's a... Uh, <laughs> Uh, he's just a smart, smart, hardworking player. His, in terms of, of, of disrupting opposing transitions, he's really good at, at reading passing lanes and getting a stick in there to, to pick off pucks. And he just works his ass off. And when you have that combination of, of he's really smart and he works really hard, you can be, you can be really effective. I believe he went from one goal last season. Uh, he, he's a bit of a, a late developer physically. He's still only... I believe he's like six foot one and less than 170 pounds still. So he's, he's, he's still growing into, into his body, but he went from one goal to, I believe over 30 this year, being the first line center on a very, very good Everett silver tips team. So yeah, Ozzy Weisbad. I mean, that's, that's, I feel like that's the feel good name of the whole draft. And you got two parents who, you know, are, are, are deaf and, you know, blew an ASL like that. That's pretty cool stuff. Um, well, I, I'm assuming Canadians, all American Sign Language, or do they have their own version of sign language? I, I don't want to assume. Uh, I, 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 be, I believe it's okay. ASL. I actually just did a, a very quick Google search revealed that they are, uh, they are all fluent in English, ASL, and language sign Quebec. Of course, Quebec has so, their own oh. sign language. Of course, wow. Quebec has, Quebec has their own uh, And very much my in my, uh, my wheelhouse, the family is Jewish, so I want the Panthers to draft <laughs> all of them. <laughs> well, yeah, well, the, uh, the, the oldest brother is, um, is, is probably, or he just finished up with the Calgary Hitman, and I don't think that he's going to be uh, heat drafted, but um, I th- think the second brother, or the third brother, was recently drafted in the WHL Bantam draft, and he's, he's pretty highly touted. So we'll see if uh, there's a bit of a Weisblatt fa- family dynasty coming through the WHL these next Move couple years. Move over, Hughes family. There's a new Jewish hockey family in town. I'm very excited. <laughs> well, well, Reese, thank you for spending so much time with us. Uh, I know we went over a little bit, but we appreciate you humoring us. Uh, this was actually extremely informative. I hope everyone takes a listen to this and kind of see how much goes into scouting and it's way more than just looking at a computer. Um, you can find Reese at his on Twitter at, at that's underscore offside. He's got a lot of great scouting stuff to see him uh, promote uh, his, his favorite scout, his favorite players like John Ludwig and uh, see his uh, player X should be a forward <laughs> take. I mean, today he was talking about how Mike Matheson should be a forward. Don't really disagree. Quinn Hughes should be a forward and my favorite Mitch Marner should be a defenseman. <laughs> no, Quinn Hughes, Quinn Hughes oh, should not me. be a forward. Quinn Hughes is perfect excuse as a defenseman. Mitch Marner could potentially, if he was developed in the in the appropriate way coming up and developed appropriate defensive skating patterns as well as learning how to control gaps and 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 plays off of the neutral zone rush, he could have been a defenseman making a similar impact to Quinn Hughes. Wow. is the whole argument <laughs> we're gonna have to get you back on to just talk about all of that because i wanted to talk about mike matheson especially <laughs> with the news that he may be traded or it's all falling apart but you know I-, I wanted to talk to you about all that we're gonna have to get you back reese this was outstanding thank you so much for your time once again uh at under- that's underscore offside um uh, you're gonna see him in the nhl again soon because he knows what he's talking about and i mean you saw what he was able to you know you see the year that john ludwig had as an overager with a mid-round pick when you can get that kind of, you know, what seems to be a good draft pick, like this guy knows what he's talking about. So you're going to see him in the NHL. Unfortunately, he's no longer with the Panthers, but we'll see you again in the NHL soon. 
Well, I, I certainly hope so, and I just want to say thanks for having me, guys. This was this was a lot of fun. I can't wait. To oh, do you it have again an open soon. invitation. I mean, just steal from the Levitar show. Call you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe not maybe not tomorrow but uh but we'll see maybe we'll, we'll see. do a draft post-mortem or something that might be fun absolutely i'd love to do it we'll, we'll figure it out thanks a lot for coming on race all right that thanks guys one. all right we want to thank reese jessup again for joining us to give us the ins and outs of draft scouting and how he got to where he is and uh, even gave us some good names to look for for the Panthers in the first round and beyond. But, you know, today we were going to record this episode and then all this stuff came out about Mike Matheson potentially being traded, which, you know, could potentially be the biggest move of the, of the Bill Zito era. And so we decided that we needed to add an addendum to our conversation with Reese and talk about it. Uh, and I'll get us started by just going through the nitty gritty Uh, Kevin Weeks initially broke that a a trade was going to happen, I suppose, is the way that he wanted to put it, uh, between the Panthers and the Pittsburgh Penguins involving Mike Matheson going to Pittsburgh in exchange for Patrick Hornquist coming to the Panthers. Now, Hornquist is in his 30s. I believe he is 33 years old. He'll be 34 by the time the season starts. That's right. Uh, he is making $5.3 million, both in average annual value and in salary, real dollars, for the next three seasons. As we all know, Mike Matheson is making $4.875 million for the next six seasons. And while he is 26, that does not necessarily mean that he is going to necessarily get better. I'm saying necessarily a little bit too much, so I'm going to ban it from my vocabulary for the next minute or so. Anyway... Uh, it does now seem that this trade is being stalled uh, as uh, Elliot Friedman initially reported that there was a quote-unquote glitch. It turns out that according to his reporting and a blog that he wrote earlier in the day, uh, the main holdup is that the Panthers are concerned that there is insufficient insurance on the Patrick Hornquist contract and that if he is unable to play due to injury, you know, they are unsure if they're going to be able to get compensated from an insurance company rather than have to just pay him. And, you know, we'll discuss that and, you know, just just this entire saga, but let me open up the floor to you two first. Uh, You know, how did you react to this? What are your thoughts on, Matheson for Hornquist. There may be other pieces involved. We don't know, but just generally reaction to hearing about this. Well, I mean, when I first saw it, because I have alerts set for Jacob when he tweets, and then I saw Jacob tweet. <laughs> you oh know, I God. always wondered how you always seem to be the first one to respond to my tweets. That's really nice. <laughs> oh, I have, the, the people I enjoy most interacting with, it, I have alerts set up for, and you are one of them. You, TJ, and a few others. Um, so I saw Jacob say, oh, my God, there's no way, or some, whatever your tweet was. And I was like, I think it was, yo, if this is real. Yeah. And, and I was like, there's this, I mean, there's only one person this could be for. And so I got my hopes up a little. And then I saw the tweet, and I'm like, okay, it's Kevin Weeks. Does he ever really break things? No, but he's also a, a legitimate guy. He doesn't, he's not Eklund. He doesn't throw shit against the wall and hope it sticks. 
So I don't mean to interrupt you, but I believe he did break the Trocheck trade. Am I wrong about that? I don't remember. I honestly don't remember, but what I'm saying is he's not he's not, you know, LeBron or McKenzie who loves breaking stuff like it's it's not in his normal wheelhouse. I'm not saying he doesn't do it, it's just not in his normal wheelhouse. But when I saw, oh, Patrick Hornquist for uh Matheson and then I'm like, all right, there's no way this is one for one because the Panthers have to be adding. And then especially when I looked and saw like you said, TJ, Hornquist has three years left on his contract compared to Matthew on six. I'm like, there's no way this is one for one. It can't be one for one. The Panthers have to be throwing in a pick or a prospect, something to make this worth the while for, you know, Jim Rutherford and, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then nothing ever came out. So it's clearly a one for one deal, which is pretty fucking awesome. And now the question becomes of the insurance. I mean, well, you know, let's talk about the players. I mean, the Panthers are losing Matheson, which it's not working well, in South well, Florida. I mean, assuming that this is going to go through, yes. right? Well, I'll, I'll talk about what I know of insurance and sports, which is not much. But I'll well, here. I'll, I'll start with there. This is and this is a very big stretch and an assumption. So do not take any of this as gospel. I just know how the NBA works from listening to a Dan Levitard podcast with Amin Al Hassan where, um, excuse me, my cat has hunted a toy, and now she wants to show the whole world she's a hunter. Sarabi, shut it. You're on the podcast. Okay, this is just not going to stop. <laughs> um, so let me, let me respond to something that you said. I honestly don't think that it's, like, totally insane from the Penguin side of things. Now, I would never do this if I was Jim Rutherford, but... The rationale makes some sense to me. The most attractive thing that you could say about Matheson was always that the the potential was there for him to turn it around and be useful. And, you know, he's still 26, which is not an age where you would expect him to improve, but he's not going to have age-related decline for quite a while. No. He's not going to enter his 30s for quite a while. No, go ahead. He's not going to have age-related decline, and he's not going to, and he hasn't had injury issues. He's been relatively healthy. Yeah. So, whereas this this Patrick Hornquist, he's at the point where he's about to fall off a cliff, in my estimation. Now he might be a somewhat useful player for the Panthers. I could be wrong about that, but I would guess that at least by year two, if not in year one, that he is going to be basically replacement level. I mean, he has had a good career, but we're talking about a guy that has really sacrificed his body a lot in order to perform the play the game that he does. You know, he he gets in front of the net, he mixes it up with the defenseman, he gets the rebounds, he always scores scrappy goals, and you know, I've always kind of liked him as a player because he has really been a thorn in the side of a lot of defensemen, and he's been able to cash in on a lot of good chances created by his teammates. And he's been a good compliment to skilled guys that play in Pittsburgh. And I, I, I definitely am worried about the three years of those deal, that deal though. But here's the thing, like I've talked about it before. This is the season before Matheson's 15 team, no trade modified, no trade kicks in. 
And if you're the Florida Panthers, you've now had Mike Matheson on your team for two consecutive years where he was not an NHL-level defenseman for both of them. You have to do whatever you can to move the remaining six years of that deal, period. And if right. it means taking on this bad contract in Patrick Hornquist, as long as you don't retain, like, I'm all for it. Like, and I would still want them to get rid of Hornquist and, you know, get whatever they can for him. Maybe, you know, take on a shorter contract that's maybe even worse, just so you don't have the third year of that Hornquist contract looming over potentially a Barkov extension or for me, preferably, you know, a rebuilding situation. But you you got to do what you got to do to get rid of Mike Matheson. And this is as good as an opportunity as I think will plausibly come up. Yeah, and uh, I don't want to just completely bogart the mic from Jacob, but the one thing, like you said, you can flip him, and I would absolutely be in favor of finding a team that has some use for who needs a Patrick Hornquist who's going to be good at age 34 and is willing to kind of eat those bad two years to go for it next year. You know, a team like Vancouver where, you know, you take a contract that has two bad years left instead of three bad years and you t- you go from three net bad years to two net bad years. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. Go ahead. Yeah. And you just, and you kind of keep flipping from there and until you finally get to your Cody CC where you turn six years of bad contract money into one year of bad contract. And that's the dream scenario. I don't know if the Panthers are going to be able to do that. I don't know if that's what Bill Zito wants to do. Maybe he wants Patrick Hornquist for three years. But like you said, the decline has already started. And with those big physical scrappy guys, like you saw it with Milan Lucic, you saw it with uh, Wayne Simmons, when the decline hits, it hits hard and it hits steep. And we've seen that from Patrick Hornquist. I saw it on Twitter. Someone said he's a 33-year-old with a 41-year-old's body, and that couldn't be more accurate like that like you're you're not getting a revitalization out of Patrick Hornquist like he's just going to keep getting worse so if you can move that contract already you do it yeah and just uh just to get my uh my voice in here I'm I'm very tired uh and very scratchy (laughs) am I scratchy again yes yes only when we're recording all right yeah, because before we started recording, you were fine. Okay. Um, yes, that's better. Well, I turned my thing tired. Uh, <laughs> I switched my microphone <laughs> is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, we've got obviously – you're obviously not nearly as clear, but like the scratchiness yeah, is gone. So. So go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, my obviously like priority number one for for Bill Zito should be to get rid of Mike Matheson's contract, and I, the way I see it, like Patrick Hornquist, obviously not ideal. He's still making f- over five million dollars, five point three million dollars uh, against the cap for the next three years. But the thing that you have to consider when looking at this trade is you're not trading for Patrick Hornquist, you're trading to get rid of Mike Matheson. So even if Hornquist isn't who you generally want to slot into a middle six wing position, although for really on the Panthers, he's a clear second liner because uh, we just don't have the depth that we should. Um, it, you're not, it, he's one of the best net front players in the league. Sure. 
he still has some positive impacts in the NHL, sure, but he is getting older. But the point of this trade is to get rid of Matheson, not to bring on Hornquist. It would be fantastic if we were able to flip Hornquist uh, for an even shorter contract. Um, the Hornquist for a shorter contract. Yeah, I want to send out a message to Bill Zito in regards to the insurance thing that possibly the Panthers are worried about here. A LTIR contract is extremely movable. Someone will take it so that you don't have to pay the real dollars. Look See, at what happened to Dave Boland. You got a second and a third for Dave Boland and Lawson Krause. Well, yes, but remember, TJ, they did not have to pay the real money. No one wants to pay real money for a player that does not play. And that's the point. Well, there are, there are plenty of teams that will not care. Toronto, uh, Vancouver, um, you know. I, I, I dis, unless you're Montreal. Paying, you're going to have to pay them to eat that money, though. That's Yeah, look, you're going to have to do something to get rid of it. But, like, Mike Matheson has six years left at almost $5 million a year, yeah. and he is not an NHL player right now. How can you be okay with still having this contract on the books? Like, it, it is a disaster. You have to do oh, I, whatever you can. And this is not as big as an, of an issue. As and don't retain. For the love of God, don't retain. Don't retain. Yeah. Retaining is death in this situation. Yeah, six years. I mean, just not even if it's just a small retain of like 650, 750K, that's still six years where you've blown one of your three retention spots. Right. Where like. Yeah, and it, then there's no, there's no more retaining salaries this year because you've already retained on Demers and on. Uh, Wait, no, Darling isn't retained. No, Darling That's is a buyout. buyout. Demers is on his last year, so there's only there will be two retentions. But still, like, you're you're honestly better off throwing them even a second round pick to not have to blow 750k a year for six years and a retention spot. Like, yeah, I don't know if they that would necessarily be an equivalent transaction, but yeah, I I, I agree. Like, if I if this is something that you can do, like if. If you can do the, this one-for-one one trade, don't worry about the insurance because if you absolutely need to get rid of the real money, there will be a team that will take him on because of the fact that they have absolutely none of it counting against the cap. I don't think you even really need to do that, though. Like, is, is it really the worst thing in the world to have Pat Hornquist for three years? I, I don't think you, you sell off a prospect or a draft pick to get rid of that contract. Well, no, the, it's the, not like the, we're going to be competitive for those years anyway. The assumption is he gets another concussion and can't play. We're talking about the LTIR yeah. scenario, right? And this no, is what, yeah, but like, why even bother? I, I mean, I guess if you're literally just worried about paying yes. him his salary, whatever, yes, that is what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. that would be an ownership problem. That yes, and I, I understand, not. but. <laughs> He can go up to the owner and say, we can get rid of this guy's contract if, if he goes on LTIR. That's when it's going to be easiest to get rid of. Yeah, and reality But you're is, still going to have to give up additional assets to get rid of that contract at that point. Sure, but and I mean... Even it, though it that might be, be a decision It would be more expensive to get rid of him if he's not on LTIR because the cap hit is even worse. Yeah. No, and the reality is they, they're shedding $32 million in real money in Mike Matheson over the next six years. Yeah. Yep. $32 million. Now they only got to find a way to get rid of $60 million. But anyway, that's not, it's just not going to happen. Like you, this, I don't want to get into a Bobrovsky conversation, but 
You just have to hope Abrowski. You know how out. they're going to get rid of sixty million dollars by not signing Barkov to his six-year, ten million dollar extension. Ooh, that hurts. <laughs> you, you're, you're dreaming if you think it's only going to cost ten. Yeah. I put the number on Twitter earlier today as 13. Uh, if you guys disagree with There's, me, you can... See, the great thing about Connor McDavid making 12 and a half is for the next seven years, no one's going to be able to ask for more than that. Well, it's going it to... Because goes by- every GM... Can't be damned. No, every GM is going to say, you think you're worth more than McDavid? Well, well in my opinion, it always goes by um, percentage, percentage of cap. cap. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but I do understand your point. No one's going to get a higher percentage of cap than Connor McDavid. Um, but, let, but let's not, let's not dive into that. Barkov, I mean, we're not here. Um, yeah, we, we've got a couple of years before we really yeah, um, podcast uh, about that. One well, more relevant detail I think is that after this season, Hornquist, who currently has a full no trade, which we, he would have to waive in order to come to the Panthers, which people are discussing potentially being something that's holding this up. But nobody has seemed to indicate, like, nobody has stuck their neck out to say, yes, there is an issue with the no trade. People seem to be sticking their neck out much more for the insurance being this issue, being the issue that's holding yeah. up. The people who are sticking their neck out for the no trade are people without blue check marks slash yeah. you, they don't have a lot of credibility. So let's yeah. just not even go there. Yeah. Here, here's what I know about insurance, and this is only for the NBA. I'm going to guess that it's the same for the NHL, but I don't know. So here's how it works in the NBA. The insurance company, let's call it Lloyd's of London, even though I'm not sure who it is, but let's call it Lloyd's because they always it have It probably is Lloyd's, let's be fair. Yeah. yeah. They but write the, all the weird specialty shit. Right. So Lloyd's, their deal with the NBA is that they've get, I think it's five body parts in the NBA that they do not have to insure no matter what. And because again, this was, was told by told by Al, Amin Al Hassan on the Dan Levitard show, so give all credit to them. Um, so they have five body parts. So for example, let's use a Miami Heat player because that's most people know um, Dwayne Wade. Everyone knows Dwayne Wade. He has bad knees. So Lloyd's of London can say one of our five uh, body parts from the entire NBA is Dwayne Wade's left knee, and if he hurts his left knee, we are not paying the insurance policy on his contract. Game over. My guess would be it is the same way in the NHL and the and Lloyd's of London has said Patrick Hornquist in his head, we aren't paying it, we aren't paying out if he gets another concussion. That's my guess. It's probably wrong, but I'm just, you know, the leagues, all that stuff tends to be very similar. So it wouldn't surprise me if I'm right, but I'm not gonna pretend I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, let's not ever do that. No, I'm kidding. Um so while we're here, I feel like we should talk about the Panthers bringing in a few people in the front office. Bill Zito starting to round out his uh, staff, even though, uh, you know, yeah. So the, the names aren't necessarily thrilling for us in particular. Uh, first, uh, the most prominent guy, I guess, that's being brought in is Paul Fenton, who was unceremoniously fired after just one season as GM of the Minnesota Wild and, and had an impressive, you know, season of horrible moves, alienation of his staff, and, you know, just saying dumb things in the media. So, you know, this is the guy that said, I like it when there's tall guys coming to our draft table, or, you know, he compared Matt Zuccarello to a lizard in a way that absolutely nobody understood. And, I forgot you know, about that. 
He was the mastermind behind the Victor Rask for Nino Niederreiter trade, except he was the one that got Victor Rask. <laughs> Already one of the worst trades in NHL history. And you, you guys know the story behind I'd say that trade, right? Tulski was the uh, was the mastermind behind Victor Rask for Nino Niederreiter. Yeah, but I mean, I would have fucking done that trade. It doesn't take a genius. Yeah, to obviously. Getting... Well, you guys know the story behind that trade, right? What is it? That Tulski literally called Fenton and was like, "Hey, Rask for Niederreiter." And without doing any research, calling his scouts, nothing. We're just like, yeah, good deal. Let's do it. Literally didn't look at... And that's now a senior advisor to our general manager. Didn't even look at Cap Friendly. He was just like, oh, what's his his ticket? All right, let's do the deal. Yeah, it just shows how uh, prepared he is. He already knew it off the top of his head. No. Uh, You know, under his... Leadership in Minnesota, they lost two of the best analytics people in the NHL. Uh, he, you know, is widely believed to be sexist, and uh, he also let some other key scouts go in order to bring in his son, PJ Fenton, who is also joining the Panthers as a, their head of scouting, I believe. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I don't think his, his uh, role has been confirmed, but I believe he is going to take over the draft room which would mean our best friend Jason Bukala is not going to be in charge, whether he's still with the organization. Not really sure, but at least he's not going to run the draft room. But can, can Mr. Nepotism do better? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's yet to be seen. There's also uh, Rick Dudley, who is coming from the Carolina Hurricanes front office. And uh, he's well known to Panthers fans because he was the, one of the most disastrous coaches in the history of the franchise in 2013 or 2003 03-04 season. Uh, he coached 40 games before getting demoted to the assistant coaching role and he won 13. So 27 not the Panthers. I mean, uh, talking, talking to people though, Rick Dudley is very well thought of in the good old boy network community, which I know this podcast is like dirt, but at, at, at the same time, like if you're going to try and find positives about Rick Dudley, there are a lot of people who respect him. And there are a lot of people who seek his opinion when it comes to certain, when it comes to the NHL. So I can, I can see why you want to bring someone like Rick Dudley in, but it's just not an inspiring move. But do you got anything, anything good on Rick Dudley, Jacob? No. So let's just move on to this because when was uh, he even coach again? Like I know he sucked. This was this was in the dark ages of the early two thousand three. Okay, so this was long before I had even moved to Florida. Yeah, this is like the dark, dark ages where the Panthers were lucky to win twenty games in a yeah. season. I, I should mention that he was assistant general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks until two thousand and eight. Yes. When uh, he was working alongside Dale Talon. Yeah. Well. 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 Let's let's Which, talk. You know, anytime you fire a general manager, but have have the opportunity to hire his best friend, you do it. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely take his advice on who's going to replace the guy when the guy's had such a successful tenure. I mean, two playoff appearances in ten years. Like, yeah. you, that's a guy whose whose opinion you need. Yeah, and but five albatross contracts that four of which you can't even get rid of because they have no move clauses. All right. So with all, all of this in mind, I guess that I'll give Bill Zito a mixed grade for, you know, these first few moves. 
if he can pull off the Matheson for Hornquist trade, even though we don't want Hornquist, it will undoubtedly be a win. But at the same time, like there's no more toxic personality that like you could plausibly bring into an NHL front office right now than Paul Fenton. So like it, it is a completely inexplicable move. This was maybe the worst GM in NHL history. He got fired after one season. Like, you have to be a pretty spectacular failure to get fired after one season as an NHL general manager. Uh, I mean, to be fair, we are, we're big fans of the computer boys, and they, got, they only got six months. Because but, they didn't even get officially appointed. Right, but, but like, when he was just terrible. There's no defending Paul Fenton. I mean, the only hope is like, oh, yeah, Paul Fenton's part of the organization, but he's going to sit in a room with a phone that does not dial to the outside, so he can't piss anyone off outside the organization. But my, my, final, my final thought is this. We all wanted Matheson gone. He is gone. No. Well, hasn't okay. happened yet. It no, hasn't happened. Not yet. Okay, excuse me. Don't jinx it. If the Matheson trade goes through, the entire fan base wanted him gone. There, you're going to struggle to find maybe five fans out there who really liked Matheson, the hockey player. Because I'm sure there's a bunch of people who like Matheson, the person. But Matheson, oh, Matheson the, the person, is a great guy. Right, but what I'm saying is... Matheson, you're gonna... the defenseman, is terrible. Right. He's got a great agent, too. Right, but I'm talking about the Panthers fans who care more about the personalities on the team rather than the talent level. You know who I'm yeah. talking about. Like, the fans who don't care if they win or lose. But we wanted Matheson gone. If, you know, Matheson refines his game with the with the Penguins or wherever he ends up and, and or Hornquist is an absolute disaster with the Panthers. We can't complain. This is yeah. what the entire fan base wanted. We cannot, you know, second guess and 20 hindsight, 2020 vision. Matheson is probably out the door. Whatever happens now, we cannot be upset. This is what we all wanted. Yeah. And I mean, unless we retain, then we, then we can be upset. There, or we take on like I don't know, Milan Lucic, James Neal, Terry yeah. right. Price, something like that. All right, um, but I'm more talking about like, oh, hey, Matheson went to Pittsburgh and refound his game and was a, a solid top four defenseman and worth his contract. Like, we, you know, we can't do that. Like, it's just not. It's not fair. We can't want the guy gone and then be pissed off if he finds his game somewhere else. Yep, I totally agree. And on that note, I think uh, we'll uh, cut it off, and uh, we'll be back next time. There's uh, something to talk about. I mean, the draft is coming up, and you know, there's plenty to talk about with Panthers picking number 12. A lot of good options are going to be there because this is a deep draft. Probably yeah. more draft content to come. I've seen some, uh, some mocks that have Anton Lindell falling pretty far. And all the scouts that I trust say he's got top five upside. Top yeah, five I mean, upside. He's playing with the men. Oh. He's playing with the men. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was great having Reese on. Hopefully, we can get some more scouts on that you know have a uh, you know Central Canada and the OHL, QJHL or QMJHL, whatever it is. Like, I mean, I thought Reese was outstanding. He gave us a lot of good detailed info about some players. Uh, definitely. I know a lot about Schneider and Goulet now, and those are two guys the Panthers seem to have been targeting. So we'll see how it goes. All right, and on that note, I think that we'll call it a night. Thank you, everybody, for listening. 
Thank you to Reese for joining us. We'll see you next time. Go Panthers. And do not trade Besser for Ekblad. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.